0: Bismillah <laughs> ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, le-chemin salli ala rasulihi al-kareem Amma ba'd, wa tqala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fil Qur'an al-Majeed Ba'd a'udhu billahi mina shaytanir rajim Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim Qad aflah man zakkaha wa qad khaba man besaha Sadaq Allah al-Azim Respected friends, elders and brothers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy and blessing upon us That he has allowed us to spend these past 15 nights and days of Ramadan with peace and comfort and without having to worry too much about the things that many of the brothers and sisters in the Muslim world have to worry about and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with much ease and comfort has allowed us to stand up in prayer at night and fast during the day, alhamdulillah we have to regard all of these things as blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a person when he understands that allah has given us two things we had mentioned earlier in the ramadan preparation seminar as well that allah has created the, the nafs and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created uh, the, along with that the body and then beyond that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created the the ruh the spirit these are two different things and each one requires uh, attention And if you may call it that, some require no attention, some require a lot of attention. Or some require positive attention, some require negative attention. And it is like a constant struggle between these two forces within a person. You have the force of uh, evil, uh, and you have the desires of, of lust, of anger, of greed, that are constantly inviting a person to sin. And opposed to this, you have the drive to do good that is an individual and that is being promoted by angels who are constantly telling us and pushing us to our limits to say you can do this, you can do this and the evil inside of us is pushing us towards laziness, towards sin, towards lewdness so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of His mercy gives us this month of Ramadan whereby we can put shackles on the nafs, where we can train the nafs and where we can give strength to the soul Give strength to the ruh So a person in this month of Ramadan Probably halfway through We already feel that We already feel the strength We already feel different Than we did probably 15 15 days ago Because the ruh is being supplied energy When we cut down on our food When we cut down on our sleep When we cut down on our drink When we cut down on so many other things That we usually do The nafs gets starved And the ruh gets stronger So the month of fasting allows us to do that but the greatest uh, height and the, the greatest thing that we can possibly achieve in this month of Ramadan, and this gift, is when a person makes this huge commitment of performing i'tikaf for 10, day, 10 days and 10 nights. This is that opportunity where we finish it off. The nafs is completely killed. The nafs is really put into a starvation mode. And uh, the ruah is, is on overdrive. Because the mundane things, just the, just the connections with people, saying greetings to people, uh, all of that stuff comes to an end. A person has no connection with his business, a person has no connection with his work, a person is not connected with the news, with the media, with the cell phone, with the, with all those things. When he cuts himself all, from all of those things, then for those 10 days and 10 nights, he gains so much more spiritual strength. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, allows him to begin to ponder and think about the realities of life. All of those things that he is, didn't have time to think about. You know, if you ask sometime someone, whether you're preparing for death, you think about death, or you ask him about what do you think is going to happen when you die, what a person say, I don't have time, I never thought about this. I don't have time to think. <laughs> you know, we don't, we're so busy. So this month of, this 10 nights and 10 days of Ramadan that we've, we do i'tikaf, or the la- a few nights, however many brothers can afford to do is an opportunity for us to sit down and do Ibadah most definitely, collectively and individually but also just kind of sit down with ourselves and just think of what's going on I sometimes, you know I, I, I know, I make a note that if you look at the population of Muslims in the prisons it's such a high population and majority are not Muslims who, got, who became incarcerated Rather it's incarcerated people becoming Muslims in the hundreds and the thousands. Uh, when the opportunities for you would think they could come to any masjid, they could read a translation of the Quran, they could uh, meet scholars, they could read they could meet all sorts of good, nice people and they could learn about Islam. But they didn't do that. Why is it that when they got to prison all of a sudden when the opportunities are so little that they struggle and they and they try to go find Islam and mashaAllah, they read about it and then they accept it? And, and the reason that comes to my mind is that when, you're in, when a person is in prison He has a lot of time on his hands to think A lot of time to think about Why is he here? Where was he before? How sad it is that he ended up in prison now And what, le- what actions led him here And then he starts thinking about the bigger picture That I was uh, in, in self-gratification Immediate gratification mode And I wasn't thinking about prison Here I am Imagine if I don't do the right things now and I end up somewhere worse than this after death Because of not preparing properly So a person he's got the four walls to look at And all he's, all he's got to do is to think That's all the time he's got Time All the time in the world to, to think To ponder So When a person begins to spend time with himself And ponder and think Automatically Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open up the doors of Hidayah for him If you have a desire we do not need to imprison ourselves in in a normal prison for that this is this beautiful environment of the masjid for the lack of a better word, where we can imprison our nafs where we can imprison our nafs in this environment and have that opportunity for us to think of the bigger picture to ask ourselves those questions that we have been scared to ask ourselves what have I gained How in my uh, 40, 50, 20, 30 years of my life What have I been able to achieve If I pass away in a couple of days Am I ready to face Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Those questions that a person is uncomfortable to ask In this month And in especially in these 10 nights and 10 days One must spend time with himself asking If we can find the answers for that That would be great If everything is good Then we have to spend time Thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And making shukr if things are not as we expected, the answers aren't coming good, then this is the realization that, okay, now I have to do something. I better straighten up my act. Rasulullah sunnah mu'akkada, you know, some, a sunnah which he practiced regularly, was the i'tikaf in the last ten nights. Initially, the Prophet wasallam, before he was aware that Laylatul Qadr is in the last ten nights, he fasted once the first ten nights. <clears throat> and then he fasted the next 10 nights and, and, and fasted and stayed in the masjid For the next 10 days and 10 nights And then he said That I have been now shown That the, la, the, the, the Laylatul Qadr Is in the last 10 nights So I'm going to be fasting And I'm going to be doing A'tikaf In the last 10 nights as well So whosoever wants to join me in A'tikaf Should to join me now In the last 10 days so the Prophet Sallallahu ended up fasting the whole month, uh, uh, doing i'tikaf the whole month. But when it became apparent that the, the Laylatul Qadr was in the last 10 nights, then he asked the people to join him for those last 10 nights. There was an instance where the Prophet Sallallahu due to some reason was not able to make i'tikaf one year in Medina. The Prophet Sallallahu then made up qada of it and made it up the next year. In one instance, the Prophet ﷺ, the last year of his demise, he, he actually did i'tikaf for 20 nights. Double of what he usually did. But what is established is that the 10 years that the Prophet ﷺ stayed in Medina, almost every single year, it was an established practice of his that he would do i'tikaf in the masjid. So that is why ulama write that this was, people realize and talk about the importance of sunnah, and we have our own weaknesses, but we understand it's important to practice sunnah. But he said, this i'tikaf, is a, a, an established sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu throughout his Madani life. But why is it there's such neglect? The ulama write, masajid where no one is doing a'tikaf, or just one person is doing it, or two people are doing it. So we have to revive the sunnah. And if we do a'tikaf with this intention, we'll, our reward will be multiplied, Allah Alam, how many times? The, ya Allah, I'm doing this to change my life, and But I'm also doing this to re-establish a sunnah, a dying sunnah in our times. Because if you go to, uh, if you go travel around the country right now, I mean, this is not, it's not happening everywhere. You know, there are many, many, many communities and many masajid that have absolutely no uh, arrangements and I mean, people are not doing it. And then there are some large community centers and masjids where there are people are doing it, but you can see it's a completely neglected thing. There's one, two people just sitting there in the corner. You know, people, no one's giving attention. They themselves, you know, they, they, they have. The, no one in the community is giving them lift and arranging for them to say, okay, this is how you're supposed to spend your time and whatnot. None of that stuff is being done. So, what is it? It's a neglected sunnah. People are doing it, but it's not given due importance. So make this intention, inshaAllah, that I'm reviving a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. He says, that the example of the person who's doing a'tikaf is like the one who puts him, throws himself in the court of Allah. He throws himself in the court of Allah, like the king's court. And he says, Ya Allah, I am not going to leave your court until you have forgiven me. I'm not going to leave your court until you have forgiven me. So the person who's doing a'tikaf, he says, Ya Allah, I'm here for as many nights and as many days as you need me to be. But I need you to forgive me and I need you to change my life. So with that type of humbleness, with that type of plea, if a person sits in a'tikaf, we have hope from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that most definitely Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will change his life. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him what He's asking for. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said regarding a mu'atakif. He said, ya'takifu dhunuba, the number one, why is a mu'atakif called a mu'atakif? And what is the benefit of that? Is that a mu'atakif stays away, ya'takifu dhunuba, he stays away from sins. So that's a number one benefit. There is no opportunity to, to sin other than the tongue, lying, backbiting, useless, vain, dunya we talk. That can take place in the house of Allah as well. But all the opportunities of buying, selling haram, investing in haram, looking at haram, thinking, you know, all those things, walking towards haram, eating haram, you cut yourself off from that. Forcefully, you're cutting yourself off from. You're closing the doors of haram. So ya it the noob what sins are you going to do while in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That's the number one thing. We all want to remain sinless. But when you're surrounded by filth and sin, it becomes difficult. Who wants to commit sins? No one does. But when you're thrown into that situation, you and I end up slipping. In the state of i'tikaf, a person forces himself. And he cannot commit sin even if he wants to. Alhamdulillah. And number two, benefit of i'tikaf, Rasulullah SAW said, وَتُجْرَى لَهُ الْحَسَنَاتُ الْحَسَنَاتِ كُلِّهَا كما قال صلى اللَّهُ عليه وسلم. And the register, and the, the, the you know the um, the register of good deeds continues to get filled up. Although he is not outside serving in a soup kitchen, he is not outside serving his parents, he is not outside you know being of benefit to humanity. But he has the intention to do all the good in the Ramadan. So since he is sitting in the masjid for the sake of Allah, he has tied himself here in the masjid. He says, Ya Allah, I wish I could be at home helping my parents. Ya Allah, I wish I could be at home helping my neighbors, my relatives, or hand out food in some soup kitchen, or, or something like that, whatever. Any type of social service, or any other good deed. I wish I could go, you know, and, and do this, you know, attend such and such masjid's program, attend such and such lecture, but I'm not able to do that. Because I'm sitting at Daru Salam or I'm sitting at wherever in Tikaf. no problem. You're going to get the reward of all of that even though you are not going and doing any of those things. Simply because of your intention and saying, Ya Allah, I've tied myself here for you. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have been here. I would have been all of those places. So what does Allah out of His mercy do? He says, okay, no problem. I know you're doing it for me. I will give you the reward of all of, of those people who are doing those works as well. SubhanAllah. So a person sits back in the masjid and is getting the reward for all the good things that he used to do or he had planned to do. Isn't that amazing? And at the same time, protecting himself from all the sins. This that Rasulullah mentioned the reward. And then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he mentioned that the person who does i'tikaf in the last 10 nights, he said the reward he'll get is of two hajj and two umrah. The reward is of two hajj and two umrah. This is thawab al-fadl, a reward that is uh, an honorary reward by, by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala for doing i'tikaf. The reward of two hajj and two umrah. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in the hadith that the one who, stays, who does i'tikaf stays away from those sins even for one night. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put a huge distance, years and years of distance between him and Jahannam. For any one night that you do i'tikaf in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What are the other benefits of i'tikaf? Like we had previously mentioned here in the hadith, that Laylatul Qadr, you know, is probably definitely in one of the ten nights. As working adults, as we know we want to do ibadah, but we have to go to work in the morning. How much ibadah are you going to do? You know? Weekends you have a lot of stuff, chores to do at home too. How much ibadah are you going to do? Are you going to do for one hour, two hours? What about the days? How about that? What if? What's the point of spending the day and sitting at the doing ibadah at night? So the i'takaaf gives us an opportunity where we can safely say that yes, 100% guaranteed I'm going to get Laylatul Qadr. 100% guaranteed, inshaAllah I'm going to get Laylatul Qadr. Because you are in the masjid the whole time to the extent that if you are sleeping the whole night in the masjid, you're still in ibadah. If you're eating in the masjid, you're still in ibadah. Any of the mundane things of our biological needs that we take care of while in i'tikaf, all of that counts as ibadah. So, not that this is encouraged, but that to spend the whole night sleeping, but well, let's just say someone got sick. Nothing happened. Some person feels ill, he got a fever and he has to go to sleep. Also, he's not like, oh, I should have just slept at home. Or we shouldn't say, you should have just slept at home. No, no, there's a huge difference. By sleeping in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is counted as in the state of ibadah. So those brothers probably who wanted to come for i'tikah for even a couple nights or sunnah, you know that deep down that they, they cannot possibly do this type of ibadah. I can't. You can. If you're not doing i'tikaf, there's no way you're going to be able to do this type of ibadah. Because you're here 24-7. Whatever you're doing is being written as ibadah. You're clocked in the whole time. You're clocked in the whole time. It's not an 8-hour shift. It's a 9-day shift, 10-day shift. And you're getting, you know, not double time, over time. Allah Alam, how many times? Rewards for all the good that you're doing. So that is that one extra benefit is the Laylatul Qadr is pretty much a guaranteed thing. The nafs is controlled. Sins you're staying away from. All the good deeds that were possible, you're getting those rewards. Right? And then in the in the Masjid, in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are staying in the company of angels. We're staying in the company of other righteous people who are involved in ibadah. When you stay in this type of company, when you, send a, when, you send, when you sit with someone for two days, two three days, accent, the words, you start picking up words from the other person. You start picking up habits from that person. If you stay in the company of angels for ten days, ten nights, what's going to happen to you? We start getting angelic qualities. Malakuti you know, attributes. Qualities of the angels. For one thing, for 18 hours, we're not eating and drinking. That that's itself is like an angel. And then we're staying away from sins. And when we're doing dhikr, du'a, ibadah alone in the masjid, in the night or the day, you're not alone. You're surrounded by angels. You just can't see them. I can't see them. But place is packed top to bottom with millions of angels. So when they're around you, and you know you're consciously thinking about that, that I'm surrounded with angels, the attributes of those angels begin to rub upon us. Because right now we are surrounded by shaitan and nafs when we're outside. And the attributes of nafs and shaitan rub upon us. And that's why when shaitan is locked away, some of, some of the human beings, it doesn't look like shaitan is locked away. Because they become shaitan themselves. They become a big murid of shaitan. Right? They are khilafa from shaitan. They can work on behalf of shaitan. Shaitan is, you know, they are a wholesaler for shaitan. That's it. So they don't need shaitan to lead them astray. They themselves are leading themselves and others astray. But then there are those who sit in the company of the angels. And then they become a wholesaler, a distributor for angels that they are constantly giving off good energy, positive energy, beautiful qualities. And this is the tarbiyah that we get in the month of Ramadan here. This is another benefit, added benefit. The ulama, the mashayikh, they had a point that in Ramadan, they would close all their durus. no dars, no teaching. And pretty much focus on ibadah. But especially the last 10 nights and 10 days, they wouldn't recognize anyone. They wouldn't speak to anyone. Every man would be in his Secluded cubicle Like your jail cell That's what it is It's a jail cell you are be in their secluded cubicle And they would sit there All day, all night And they'd do their ibadah They'd come and pray the salah And go back in But we know we are weak If we're given an opportunity To sit in a cubicle You know how much We'll think about Allah for a little bit We'll read the Quran for a little bit But after a while Our mind will drift and if we have a cell phone, Allah, then most definitely we'll reach for that. And even if you don't have your cell phone, then your mind wanders and you start getting a little bit tired and bored. So for weak people like myself, what we've done here is we try to create a program that you get your secluded time, time for yourself every single day. You know, for your own ibadah, for your own personal time. But along with that, there's a, a, a detailed program that Mufti bin Hajj will be going over with you now, inshallah of programs throughout the night, throughout the day where you can benefit where you can attend those collective programs and inshallah ta'ala along with getting the spiritual boost begin to learn so we have our tajweed workshop, we have a fiqh workshop we have a Zakat workshop, salah workshop all of those things that are there allowing us to not only spiritually boost ourselves but to learn the basics of the deen I'm not saying we don't know this, it's a reminder most definitely the more times we learn the better, the more times we hear the better so this is, uh, a, that is why a packed schedule we have kept here so that your time is very very valuable you've taken off from work and you're coming here you have a lot of other obligations you've t- you have uh, rearranged all of that so you could dedicate yourself we value your time and you should value your time the so month of Ramadan you're giving the last 10 nights we need to capitalize on this how do we capitalize on this? by ensuring that not a single second gets wasted Mentoring, and that is second. A single second gets wasted. All of it needs to be spent in in ibadah. Now there are two types of ibadah. One is ibadah li'aini, and one is ibadah li'ghairihi. The ibadah which is done because it is it is in its nature, in reality itself, it is an act of worship. Ibadah by itself, it is. Allah has clearly, distinctly told us, "I want you to worship Me. Pray." do thikr, remember me, and so forth. And then there's ibadah ghairi where a person does ibadah. And it became ibadah not because it actually is an act of ibadah. It became ibadah because of our intention. So going to work can be can be ibadah. Sleeping can be ibadah. Eating can be ibadah. Spending time with wife and kids can be ibadah. All of those things have potential of becoming ibadah. When the intentions are... Correct. When the intention is, I'm following the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu When the intention is, I am trying to please Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. However, we know how easily a person can have a wrong intention, or I should say, just a normal intention, which is gratification of the soul. The nafs. I need. To, I'm working because I need to. I'm working because I need to pay my bills. That's a very basic intention. I'm spending time with family and kids because I like them. You know, it's my right and my responsibility. And one is you change the intensity, I'm doing it to please Allah. I'm doing it because it's a co- order of deen. Then that becomes an ibadah as well. So in the i'tikaf, in the you have both opportunities. I mean, majority of this i'tikaf, I would say, is all ibadah. It's ibadah in itself, because the Prophet wasallam ordered us to do that. So whatever we do in here, falls into inshaAllah ta'ala in that category. That it is that specific ibadah which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered us to do what the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had ordered us to do, and this is of a much higher level. What about working? You said that's Ibadah as well. What about all the other things? Yes, it is. But our intentions get played around with, our intentions get ruined. That is why I'tikaf gives you the energy required to ensure that the remainder of the year, whatever Ibadah we're doing, which means going to work, going to school, taking care of wife and kids, in order to have the right, correct intention in those ibadat. We have this blessed month of Ramadan and these ten days of Etikaf. You understand? In these ten days of Etikaf, we get enough energy, spiritual energy, to ensure that the remaining remain, remaining remaining three hundred and fifty-five days of the year, whatever we are doing, our intentions are correct. So that our work, going to school, so forth, all of that can be can be ibad. How amazing! How amazing! for that individual how lucky is that individual whose 365 days of the year are counted as ibadah it can be done but it has to be with the uh, intention a person needs to understand why am i here and i'm trying to serve allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allah will make that happen so one basic etiquette while we're here inshallah ta'ala is that uh, we don't as like I said, we're staying away from sins of course you know, majority. But one of the few things where people slip and fall is, uh, like I mentioned, the tongue. The tongue is where it is so easy, in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a person also can fall into sin by lying, by backbiting, by uh, speaking about vain things, useless things. Now we're in the house of Allah, speaking about the dunya, backbiting, lying, all of those things, the sins are multiplied manyfold. Just like when you go visit the haram, Madina, Makkah, Al-Mukarramah, the rewards of every deed are multiplied. The ulama write that the, reward, the sins and the punishment for every sin is also multiplied. So that's why for the, the days that you are staying in the haram or Umrah, or the days you're staying in this masjid or any masjid, we have to be super careful. It's better, for Allah forbid, it might be better for sometimes for a person to leave if he stays and racks up sins. We're not here to rack up sins. We're here to rack up good deeds. So where do we fall? The, the tongue. Abu Bakr radiallahu anh, is holding on to the tongue. And he's saying, this is what has ruined me. This is what is, is taking me to destruction. And Rasulullah sallallahu what, what does he tell another sahabi? He says, a sahabi Rasulullah sallallahu mentions the rewards of fasting, mentions the reward of sadaqah, mentions the reward of giving alms, mentions the reward of, of salah. All those, it's a lengthy hadith. And the Sahabi is listening, listening, okay, okay, the Allah. okay, and 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 the Prophet goes on. Okay. And then he says, okay, can, he, can then Rasulullah tells him, Do you want me to tell you the crux of the whole deen? You want me to tell you the gist of all of this? Something that you take on point that you can't forget? This one short thing. He said, Yes. And the Prophet said, Take care of your tongue. Take care of your tongue. And this is the you know the crux of everything. If you can take care of this, you're pretty you're in good shape. So Ramadan and especially these 10 days is, not, is the training grounds for us to control our tongue for the rest of the year And inshallah for the rest of our lives So how do we control our tongue? Number one, by speaking less By speaking less As much as possible, we remain silent Hazrat Shaykh Zakariya the author of Amal Who had his Tikaf um, where hundreds of people would attend from around the whole world And come in his company, mashallah Supposedly, there were no rules in that i'tikaf You come, whatever, just come however you are and sleep You know, and do ibadah But there was just one rule Which I've heard from my teachers One rule in that i'tikaf was that And you couldn't break that rule Do whatever, if you sleep as much as you want, go ahead You eat as much as you want, go ahead I'm not gonna say anything One thing you must, must not do Is to speak Not allowed to talk and I think that is probably the most difficult rule, right? The person said, all right, give me one glass of water if I for iftar, I'll handle that. But not to talk for the whole day while you see everyone there. That was a training. For 10 nights, 10 days, no talking. Period. Well, very, 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 bare, bare minimum. Something possibly, You know, give me this, give me that. But no, just chit-chatting at all. And he said, because he knew, of course, he's a sheikh. You know, this is what the ummah, this is the problem of the ummah. The tongue is what's killing us. Communication, over-communication, wrong communication is what is ruining us. So we are not making that type of rule on, upon our own selves. If you take it upon yourself that I'm going to cut down, that's very good. So I can say this as an encouragement. I'll, sh- I'll share a hadith with you. كل كلام ابن آدم عليه لا له إلا أمر بالمعروف أو نهي عن المنكر أو ذكر الله. So this rule of the Khanqa of Shaykh zakaria one place, the rule of the Iyatakaaf of Shaykh zakaria one place, I'm sharing with you a hadith. The Prophet ﷺ says, everything, every utterance of the man of Adam, every statement that a human being says, will be used against him and not for him. Every time you open your mouth, it's going to be used against you. How the police, when they arrest someone, they say you have a right to remain silent. And whatever you say, may be used for you in court. Is that what they say? What does it say? Against you. What about for you? What if you say, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. Can you please document that and show that in the court that I said I was innocent? No, no, we don't care what you said. But if you say, I only intended to hurt him, not kill him. It's immediately noted. Finish. That is presented. They don't care about good things you say about yourself. That's not presented for in. They're saying whatever you say against you that you can be implicated, we're going to present that in court. Look at that system. Well, that should be a reminder of the hereafter. Rasulullah wasallam say, Allah says, everything that you say will be used against you and not for you. Except for three things. Except for three things. Number one, Amr al ma'roof, Command someone, bid someone to do some good. Encouraging someone to do a good thing. Waking him up for salah. Telling him, you know, let's increase our ibadah. Throughout your life, any good—be good to your parents. You're encouraging someone to do good. أو نهي عن munkar or prohibiting someone from doing some wrong, some evil. And lastly, أو ذكر الله, remembrance of Allah, reciting the Quran, du'a, hyming I mean the greatness of Allah. When your tongue is moving, Allah, Allah, you're not going thats not gonna be used for you. It's gonna be against you. It's gonna be used for you. Only three things. Now, my respected elders, my dear brothers, and myself. Let's document, if we were to document every word, every utterance that we've said the past 24 hours in the month of Ramadan, how much of that falls into these three categories and how much of it falls outside of these three categories? Isn't isn't that something to ponder and think about? How much useless talk we're involved in. Not even maybe fuhsh, but just useless, unnecessary. And we catch it, we have to catch ourselves. When, When you make a comment as, as SubhanAllah, you know, just sitting here stating the obvious when it's snowing, man it's snowing, okay, what category does that fall into? Or man the sun is so bright, what category does that fall into? It's nothing, it's, it's low, it's useless. Something I make often, you make often, it's a passing comments, small talk, it's normal, stating the obvious, it's cold man, it's very hot, it's raining, so these things do not fall into any of the three categories. This is useless talk. But that is that is bad. But worse than that is sinful talk. Passing a comment on someone's qamis someone's shirt, someone's child, someone's car, someone's house, someone's occupation. Just passing comments on that. Passing comments on their intentions, passing comments on their dress. And all of that. This is sinful stuff. So is the, is the is the opportunity for us to train. To train ourselves that, okay, I'm going to put the ligam, I'm going to put a lijam, I'm going to put the reins around this tongue. I'm going to control it. So I humbly request all of you inshallah, ta'ala, let's create an environment here that we don't speak unless it falls into these three categories. Is that going to be easy? No. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for anyone. But you start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. And we are going to work. When, some, when if one guy is a chatterbox, he sees everyone else quiet, doing their ibadah and only speaking necessary, he himself will say, okay, khalas. Yes, if you're speaking about Allah, you're speaking about good things, you're discussing something you heard in the workshop, something you heard in the speech, something you heard in the tafsir, you have a book, you're having a good, healthy, you know, beneficial talk, a discussion, there's nothing wrong with that. Remembrance of Allah. That's great. But ensure that it doesn't go beyond that. As soon as we start going off on a tangent, let's bring ourselves back. Let's bring ourselves back. That is why Murana Abdal Haqsa used to say that staying away from ghibah is so important, staying away from backbiting is so important, but it's so difficult. You start speaking about someone, it's so easy. In a matter of seconds, you end up backbiting. So that is why his rule was that do not speak about anyone in their absence. Period. Not even good. You say, that guy is a great man. I like him. He's such an amazing person. And he said, yeah, he is. And third one says, yes, he is. And then the butts start coming in. But only if, you know, licking. And that messes up everything. So his rule was that do not speak about anyone in their absence. Don't even praise the person. Don't even praise the person in his absence. Because it starts from there. And then a person goes into backbiting. So this is why in this last 10 days, you have a lot of opportunities for discussion throughout your life. Maybe these last 10 days we have to just be, we know ourselves how weak we are. If we are one of those weak people that quickly goes off on a tangent Maybe it's better for me to remain quiet as much as possible Let me just listen There's enough talks going on here Let me just listen Right? Because I'll start off uh, and then it'll end up becoming a discussion And sometimes these discussions are based off of ignorance Argumentation, fighting about the deen And which is obviously not a good thing to do So that's one thing I want to say is that Create an environment as much as possible, especially for the youth I mean the younger people, this is possibly an issue is that sp- speak only what is good And stay away from any useless talk And number two Is the Inshallah ta'ala That a person should Needs to make sure That we do not have gadgets No technology No iPhones iPads Android phones Or you know uh, Tablets Laptops These are things That are a big no-no A biggest dajjal Right now for us In the masjid the house of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala it won't let us You are You are uh, the youth here, no one. Yani, you only need. To, you need to be in contact with your um, parents at the most. You can turn in your phone into the office. Turn it into me. Turn and, we, and whenever you, every, if you need to call home every day, probably you usually don't from college. I'm guessing call every single day. If you do, if you do, that's really good. Mashallah, keep it up. But most don't. Weeks go by, they don't. So they know you're in the house of Allah. You're locked up in here. You're in good. You're in good hands. Uh, but if still there's a need for you to check on, no problem. After asr. In the free time after Fajr, whenever there's a free time, you can most definitely ask us. And we're here 24-7 pretty much. Uh, and you can, take, you can take the phone, call them, and then return it. For the youth, I'm, I'm mentioning this again and again. If you are here to change, if you are here to improve, this, your cell phone is your enemy number one. It's like a drug addict, drunkard friend that is just always with you. You don't want to stay around with him. At least in these last 10 days, you're like, go, I don't want you. That's how he's got to be here. This cell phone and the internet is our number one enemy. So unless there's a need, take it. Why am I saying turn, in, turn into the office? Because we had the nafs. The nafs is really khabif. The nafs says, oh man, yeah, I'm not going to be able to fall asleep. How about I listen to a talk on YouTube? Very nice. Listen to a talk on Ramadan. You start off from there, then you go to all the suggestions and all the other ones. And now, subhanAllah, you're ending up seeing, you know, uh, live updates from the World Cup. So, so, something else happens. All the other things that take place like that, right? You know how it works. This is what I'm trying to tell you. This is why I'm, I'm telling you, it's very important. I remember I was given a, a seminar on Dajjal in one city. And the brothers were watching the NBA, NBA uh, what you call it, games. Right in the back. And I'm talking about how cell phone is a Dajjali fitna. And all the youth in the back, like not even the back, just like how these brothers are, right, right in the gathering. <laughs> they got their cell phones out and watching. This is what I mean. They they cannot they even hear or talk about the and the fitna of cell phone because they are too attached, watching the, the video while they're sitting in the house of Allah in a gathering. So this is my uh, request for all the youth here, for the uh, and for those adults as well. Is that if you're on call or something like that? Okay, fine. If you have uh, discipline and you can you know that you're not, and of course the adults when well, we're not sitting there, most of us are, you know attracted to Facebook and and Twitter and news feeds. So then, you know, it's up to you, it's totally up to you. If you want to leave it there and just use your phone for... Now someone says, I use my phone for Qur'an. But why? When you have the Mus'haf, why would you want to read from the the cell phone, unless there's a necessity, you're traveling, you don't want to carry the Mus'haf with you, you don't want it to get disrespected in the airplane? Okay, I understand the need for that. But in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we should not be reading off of a cell phone, unless there's a necessity. We have the Mus'haf, that cell phone doesn't have the barakah, doesn't have the feel, not just a feel, I mean a spiritual feel, that a Mus'haf has when you're holding it, when you're touching it. Touching it is ibadah, looking at it is ibadah, holding it is ibadah. So our ulama have spoken about this, that the cell phone is used for so many wrong things or useless things. We should not, it's like someone gave an example, that if you have a cup to drink water from, you'll say, fine. But imagine you go to the doctor's office and you see the urine cups. Let's just, I'm not saying used one, of course not. A brand new cup that's just there, would you want to drink water from there? No, because that has been created for something else. Just drinking from there is, is like, feels weird. Even it's 100% brand new, fresh, clean plastic. You wouldn't do that. Let's say it gets used, and then they wash it, antibacterial soap and all—you know everything, bleach it. Would you want to drink from it? I don't think so. So the cell phone is being used by things that are worse than urine. All kinds of stuff. Impure things for the soul, so that is why stuff we get off from there is not—it it becomes tainted. It becomes tainted, so that is why we should use the reason. Like this is the reason people say, I, give, "I need to." I have a Quran app. Don't leave the Quran app now for these ten days. Focus on the real Quran, right? The Musaf. I, I use it to take notes. Walla alhamdulillah, remember the good old pen and paper? We have lots of paper. You can bring your own notebook, and I would definitely suggest all of you to bring a notebook with you. A small one, not that you have so much, then you just leave it here. And that's what we have left leftover notebooks from last year. So, I mean, subhanAllah. Bring a small notebook where you will take with you, and you can, you know, add stuff to that. Imagine if, if you attend the daily tafsir here, if you attend the workshops here, if you attend the daily, weekly tafsir program at Darussalam or any other masjid. You got, you'll have in, in literally in less than a year, you'll have a full notebook of things that you have yourself learned. And you can discuss it with family, you can discuss it with the kids. MashaAllah, this is this is what we're talking about, a learned community. That will happen when you start taking notes. So I would suggest that you bring a notebook. Don't, there's no need to take notes on your cell phone, which I do as well when I don't have a notebook and pen and paper. I'm unprepared, I'm sitting in a talk, and the sheikh is saying something amazing, I'll take notes. But if I had known from before, this is going to be, then I'll be prepared. So you know now. If you want to take notes, there's talks after Fajr, after Dhuhr, after Asr, after, after Isha, and in the night. Four or five talks a night, a day. So you should, inshallah ta'ala, definitely uh, take notes, but not on your cell phone. What other things? You know, context with business people is, is not necessary. So keep it shut off in your bag, keep it in your car. And you, if you're nafili, if you're doing nafil, leave it in the car. But we are humbly requesting, because last year we had the problem here. You know, and I don't like to call out people in the middle of ertikaf. But the youth downstairs were excessively using their cell phones. Downstairs. So uh, I am, that is why being very you know, uh, strict on this to say, there are many, many, many houses of Allah available for you to do ertikaf. There are many masjids, and they all need people to do ertikaf. If you have chosen to come here, then you are serious. You're here because you want to join an environment of seriousness. And you want to be part of that serious environment. So we don't want anyone to, and all of you who are here, who are sitting here on this Sunday after Dhuhar Salah, with such short notice, are serious people. So I don't want anyone from outside to come and ruin that environment. So now you will be allowed to do nahi <laughs> al-Munkar. If someone is using a cell phone with love, with respect, no screaming, no yelling, no harshness, with mahabha, say brother, I, you know what, I'm a, I'm a phone addict just like you. But I'm trying to wean myself off of that. And you know, it seems like you're having the similar problems. So how about we both work together? Two, two young you know, brothers were told me, we went in Jamaat, MashaAllah, in, in uh, February, for four months. They said, he, told, he called me from Jamaat, he said, Mufti Sahib, you know, Alhamdulillah, I gave up, I kicked my habit of smoking. He's a young, like 20-year-old brother. I said, MashaAllah, I said, how did that happen? He said, well, in the first week I was in Jamaat, there was another youth, and we were both used to go out of the masjid to smoke. And then we both started looking at each other after the first week, like, come on, man, what, are, what are we doing? You know, we gotta kick this habit. So Alhamdulillah, then we made a pact. We're like, all right, we're both gonna throw away our cigarette packs, and we're both not gonna allow ourselves to go and purchase and anything. So he said, Alhamdulillah, just staying in each other's company for the first like, couple of weeks, we, we bo- we we're both able to kick that habit. This is what Ramadan, I'tikaf, most definitely can do. Is that whatever habits we have, we can do that. Eventually, what's the goal when we leave this Ramadan uh, I'tikaf? We have our tongue under control, and we have our cell phone under control. That's it. I think that's it. If we can get these two things down for the youth, especially, what other what other issues are? These are the main two issues that that lead us to sin. So I congratulate all of you, inshallah, genuinely from the bottom of my heart. This is an amazing opportunity you're you're you been given, and the fact that Allah has given you tawfiq. Congratulations, and welcome uh, to to inshallah a life changing experience. I hope. Almighty Allah that he allows you to achieve what I expect from Allah and what you're expecting from Allah and Allah may Allah give you more than what you expect from him and allow myself and all of you to leave this masjid uh, at the end of our itikaf as completely changed individuals Ameen Bismillah ar
1: bismillahir rahmanir rahim al Rabbil Alameen Allah wasalli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa <coughs> Masha'allah, that was a good introduction on the virtues of i'tikaf and <coughs> some basic do's and don'ts. I just wanted to wrap it up, inshallah, by going over the schedule, the logistics, and a um, few of the actual fiqhim masail. <coughs> we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has Created us for this actual purpose. I have not created human beings, nor insan, insan, nor jinnat, but for my ibadah. And this ibadah, it goes to its peak, insha'Allah, in these last ten days. This i'takaaf is categorized by the fuqaha into three categories, three types. First is the wajib i'tikaf, which is compulsory. Which type of i'tikaf could there be that is compulsory? This is only that i'tikaf which a person, he makes a vow to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He makes another to Allah. And he says that, uh, Oh Allah, if you fulfill this particular task of mine, then I pledge to you that I will make i'tikaf for two days, three days, any number of days. So that pledge that is made, sometimes it is mashroot with a particular condition. Oh Allah, if you cure my son. Oh Allah, if I pass my exam. Oh Allah, whatever the biggest concern a person has. There are hadiths about this as well. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he asked Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was returning from the Battle of Hunain. Let me share that hadith with you. This is after the conquest of Makkah al-Mukarramah and then Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam went on to the tribes of Hawazin and the battle of Hunayn took place and after the battle of Hunayn Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam stopped at the place called Ji'arana this is from Sirah, we know and he distributed the spoils of war it was at that occasion where Umar anhu he approached Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he asked him a question that Ya Rasulullah back in the jahiliya era in fact i had made a vow to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that i will make I'tikaf in the masjid al-haram for one day so what is the hukum of that what is the Sharia ruling regarding that particular itikaf so rasulullah said that you should go ahead and fulfill that pledge fulfill that vow you made to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so if a person makes it wajib upon himself then then that is the only form of etikaf which is binding compulsory a person must go ahead and fulfill that Now that wajib is again two types wajib muayyan and ghair muayyan Wajib muayyan means when a person identifies a particular date And he says that I'm going to I promise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I'm going to make ahtikaf On the 25th, 26th, 27th nights Then it becomes binding compulsory on that individual he must Come on those days Likewise there's wajib ghair muayyan Ghair muayyan means he leaves it open He says three days So it would be any three days. And when a person is making itakaaf, even outside the month of Ramadan, if it is a vow that he has made to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it includes fasting. It's included part of the package. Even if a person is making itakaaf in in Shawwal, or in in Zikaada, Muharram, Safar, any other month, then a person is making itakaaf, then they will also have to fast. We are not doing wajib itakaaf now. But that is the first time, so I just mentioned it. The second type is the Sunnah I'tikaf. The Sunnah I'tikaf, as we you know, is the last 10 days. It technically, could even be 9 days. When does it start from the Maghrib of the 21st? And if if the moon is sighted, then it might only be 9. Till the end of the month. This is Sunnah Muakkadah Al-Kifaya. Sunnah Muakkadah Al-Kifaya means that Muakkadah means it's a strongly emphasized Sunnah. And Al Kifaya means that it is binding on the entire community. So that if there are few individuals who are fulfilling the sunnah, then everyone will be exempted from it. Those who are engaged in the etikaf will definitely receive the reward. But those who are not, they will not be sinful for that. However, if no one comes forward to do the Sunnah Muakad Al Kifaya then the members of the entire community will be sinful. This was covered already. If not, then please be aware of that. That this is sunnah mu'akkada al kifaya. Example is like salah. Right? There is one type of salah called fardain. One type of salah is fard kifaya. The five times daily prayers is fardain. There is no niyabah Niyaba Niyaaba means representation. You cannot ask, you know, I'm feeling tired today, son. Why don't you go pray Zuhar for yourself? Then pray another four rak'at from, on my behalf. You cannot, no one can represent anyone else. Everyone has to perform their own salah. Fardain Fard kifaya means if few individuals perform it Then uh, everyone else is exempted from that And that is Salatul Janazah If few individuals perform the Salatul Janazah Then everyone else is exempted from the responsibility of that And everyone will be considered as having done their job But if no one performs the Salatul Janazah in the body May Allah forgive his decomposing, his rotting Or is uh, not taken care of Then everyone in the community will be sinful for missing the farad that likewise is a position of of this uh, of the sunnah i'tikaf, the last ten days, and then we have the nafal i'tikaf, number three. Nafal i'tikaf is for any number of, uh, any number of literally hours or minutes, any unit of time. It is not limited to one whole day or night, ten days, ten nights, but any, any number of uh, any uh, unit of time that a person he is in the masjid and he makes a niyah that. I'm making i'tikaf. What are the words for that? The musnoon words for it is Nawaitu i'tikaf ma dumtu fil masjid. I make the intention of i'tikaf as long as I remain in the masjid. In fact, right now, as an exercise, everyone can make that intention. If you haven't already done it. What, right now, this Sunday, that we are here sitting, if you make the intention in our hearts at this moment, that I make the intention, I am in nafal i'tikaf, as long as I remain. As soon as he stops speaking, then I can go home. Inshallah, I'm soon. I'm almost over. Uh, so this is, Inshallah, you will be receiving the reward for etekaf. Every single time you enter the masjid, you making that intention. We are adding more points. When it comes to the dunya, we're so hadith. When it comes to uh, saving every penny from you know Uncle Sam from the IRS, we come up with so many different schemes how we can maximize our deductions and and try to save every single penny we can. So likewise, we have to develop that mentality. We already have it, we just have to change the focus towards the Akhirah. So every time we enter the masjid, let's make the intention we are in the itikaf. So these are the three types of ithikaf. I wanted to share a few hadith pertaining to itikaf. And. Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu ta'ala anha, she narrates that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he performed intakaf every single year of his life. This is definitely a sunnah, a continuous sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Where did he perform it? Nafir rahimullah narrates from Abdullah ibn Umar, his master, uh, who narrates that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would lay out his bedding in the Masjid the Nabui behind the Ustawana Tawbah. So it, that shows us that it is permissible to lay out one's bedding in the masjid for the intention of aitikaf. In fact many things we take for granted like not here inshallah but other masajid people eat in the masjids just like there are different events people are eating in the house of Allah people are um sleeping in the house of Allah it is actually not permissible unless a person has a niyat of eating the food in eating food in the masjid also we have to make the intention that we are in aitikaf when if you're eating or if you are sleeping, we should make the niyat i'takaaf, nafal i'takaaf throughout the year. So it is permissible to put one's bedding. And Nabi Sallallahu used to normally sleep in the same place. That means that it is permissible for a person to uh, take a particular place and sleep there. However, of course, one disclaimer is that if someone else came there first, then it is absolutely haram to argue with that person and to start fighting and say, no, 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 this is my place, this is where I slept last year. So, this is the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are all equal in front of the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Like they mentioned about uh, Mahmud Ghaznavi, Rahmatullah the king and his slave Ayaz Mahmood and Ayaz, if I remember correctly, it just came to my mind That Mahmud and Ayaz, they're standing in the same line, the king and the slave Freed slave who eventually became like a minister, but he was a slave, and Mahmud was Sultan Mahmud ghaznavi They're all in the same line in the house of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. One of our one time he was in the second saff, somebody in the front saff. He he was uh, already in the first saff. He's telling somebody else to move, not himself moving, asking somebody else to move so that the sheikh could come into the first saff. So irtijalan in filbadi, meaning on the spot he, uh, he recited a couplet. He said that Jam was a Farsi king of the past, Persian emperor. And Bazm means a gathering. So he said, This is a masjid. This is not the gathering of, of the Persian emperor Jam. This is a masjid. This is not the a royal court, where the royal nobles are first, the princes, and likewise the great lords, and then the commoners are in the back. So, so that's why let us not develop that type of attitude, of course. And likewise, there's a hadith that, you already covered this, the <laughs> mu'atakif stays away from sins, and he will get the reward of all the good deeds. We will not repeat that one. Another hadith, masala. We can learn from this as well. Aisha Siddiqah radiAllahu anha narrates that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when he was in antakaf, uh, on certain occasions when he, he needed it, he would lower his head towards her, meaning he, uh, the house of Aisha Siddiqah was attached to the masjid an-Nabwi. is the house where Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam passed his days of his final sickness. That is where he passed away, returned to Allah, and that is where he is buried. Where we go and say that this is the roda of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and send salam upon him. That is the hujra of. Aisha Siddiqah That is her own home Where she used to live So Rasulullah Was in the Masjid And he would pass His head Out to her And she would Comb his hair And oil his hair So this shows That it is permissible for uh, To groom oneself When in itikaf It is permissible That a portion of the body Goes outside of the Masjid So the fuqaha They derive from this The ruling That if a portion Of the body Is outside of the Masjid It will not invalidate The itikaf uh, Even though uh, of course, if a major portion of the body is outside of the masjid, then the ithkaaf will break. But a portion it is permissible. They, they derive that from this hadith. Um, another hadith we have is that Aisha narrates <laughs> that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when uh, he would go to relieve himself, then he would be coming back to the masjid. If he would come across a sick person, or um, he heard any, uh, then he. Inst- he would while walking inquire about his position but he would not even stop to talk to that person he would not stop he would continue walking and ask about the condition of the person that shows that it is not permissible for a person to stop outside the house of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is when there are no bathrooms attached to the masjid then a person is going out to use the bathroom even in that condition it is not permissible to pause to talk And even to ask the condition of someone who is sick, which otherwise is such a virtuous act, it is not permissible. We gained the same uh, information and the ruling from the hadith of Abdullah bin Abbas. When he was in nafal i'tikaf. And a person, he came and he started crying and he was in grief. And he was, this is the hadith. One person came he said salam and he sat by him and he was full of grief and Abdullah ibn Abbas عنهم, I asked him that i see you you are in great pay, uh, worry and anxiety how can i help you and he said that i swear i do not have any way to pay back this debt which is uh, hanging over me and and this is a cause of great anxiety for me how can i and i'm at a loss where can i find the money to pay back my debt my debtor is making my life very difficult so Abdullah ibn Abbas عنه, got up and and he got ready to put his shoes on to go and Get some money to help this person So he told him, no, you're an you're going to break He literally asked him that, how are you leaving? rajulu The man said, did you forget you're an itikaf? Maybe you forgot because you're just moving to help me As a first impulse, you forgot you're an itikaf So why did he ask him to stop? Because he also was aware that leaving the masjid Because this is the hardest thing to digest That's why I'm giving the hadith reference Sahih hadith Imam Hakim has declared it to be sahih. He said, Your itikaf will be invalidated. He said, It's fine. I heard Rasulullah ﷺ mentioning the rewards of helping someone. Uh, and of course, the reward for itikaf is this. The one who fast, uh, makes itikaf for one day for the pleasure of Allah, Allah will create uh, three trenches between him and the fire of Jahannam. So. He mentioned the virtue of i'tikaf, but that, that shows that leaving the masjid, spending time outside the masjid, that is a major and pillar of i'tikaf, not to leave the masjid. Um, then the next hadith, Safiya radiallahu anha. This is a few lessons we can learn from this. Safiya bint Huyay, the wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa In one hadith, she came, went to visit Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he was in i'tikaf. And she's, she had a few issues, she needed to discuss them with her husband, with her prophet uh, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And after discussing, then she was going to leave. So Rasulullah ﷺ walked with her out to the door of the masjid, but not beyond that, and to see her off. And Ummah ﷺ's door was near the masjid. Her was inside. So he walked with her up to the door of Ummah ﷺ's house. And uh, when he was seeing her off, then there were two Ansari sahaba who were walking by. Uh, so Rasulullah ﷺ told him, stop, come here. They were just traveling by, passing by. Then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that zawjati bint She is Safiya, the daughter of Huyay. my wife. They said, Subhanallah, Rasulullah, why did you uh, stop us and go out of your way to um, identify who you were talking with? Astaghfirullah, how could we ever have any wrong thought about you? You are the Prophet of Allah in the house of Allah. That would, you know, no wrong type of thought would ever even cross our hearts or minds. Rasulullah sallallahu said, no, uh, it is my responsibility to clarify for you. And he taught us few lessons. First lesson we learned is that it is a, there is no Sharia objection. If someone has some valid need, if they come to talk to you, a family member, it is permissible. Valid need. Keeping all the previous discussion in mind that not to talk excessively. Um, but it is permissible. And then, if a woman had to come, this is, this is when they could not communicate otherwise, she had to come directly, but she was observing naturally the full hijab and jilbab as Allah has ordered in the Quran. Ya Ayyuha Nabiyyu kulli azwajika wa banatika wa nisaa'il mu'minin alayhinna min jilabihihin. Oh, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, order your wives and your daughters and all the Muslim women that they should cover themselves in the jilbab. Definitely, the wife of Rasulullah umm Al-Mu'mineen, was in the proper, etiquette, and proper dress, and that is perhaps one of the reasons why she was not uh, could not be identified by those Ansari Sahaba. That's what the Prophet ﷺ had to identify her. And we see that Rasulullah ﷺ walked up to the door. He did not go outside. Meaning if someone comes to visit you, you can walk with them up to the door, but not beyond the door to see them off. And we also learned that it is a general usul and principle that we should avoid such scenarios that could lead other people to have doubts. And if you end up in such a scenario, then it is our responsibility to clarify. Rasulullah in this hadith at the end, he told the Sahaba, No, you may not have bad thoughts now, but shaitan uh, runs through the body like the blood courses through the veins. And he said, wa- mawadi'i zannisu. Abstain from such scenarios where people would have the opportunity to fall into doubts about your character. Uh, if you are, um, you know, ended up for some reason at a bar and you're just drinking oranges, why are you going to drink oranges at a bar? How does the person not know? There is no vodka in that orange juice. Not a cocktail. Just pure orange juice, Tropicana. Right. So there is no reason to drink orange juice at a bar. Rather, get orange juice from uh, um, from an ice cream place to have, or some other drive-through. You can get it from a more neutral place. So we should avoid such scenarios where people could imagine you are doing something haram. And if you are there, caught up for some reason, then we should clarify. So. Um, then Umar anhu's hadith, There are some lessons from that as well That the nazar he made, he fulfilled it When he was in uh, the Itikaf that he was doing the one day That he made the vow Rasulullah sallallahu had told him go ahead and fulfill it So it's, since they were near Makkah, He went straight to the Maza Haram and he fulfilled uh, that one day Itikaf. While he was in Itikaf He heard a, a loud uproar outside Big sound and he's heard the people saying that we have been freed by the prophet of Allah we have been freed by the prophet of Allah the slaves were proclaiming so he called Abdullah bin Umar عنهما, his son and he said what is happening he said Rasulullah has made a general amnesty all the prisoners uh, from the battle of Hunin that just took place Rasulullah has set them free so then he told his son okay what about the slave that was given to me that also we need to set free so go and inform him that i have also set my slave free complying with the Sunnah of Rasulullah So he went and got his own slave freed. So this teaches, it shows us that it is permissible to enter into such transactions. Uh, freeing a slave is a legal transaction. As in being in the state of he freed his slave. And he was aware of what happened outside, the news was brought to him. This is, I remember he was talking about the NBA finals and all of that, and World Cup, whatever the case. This is, But at the same time, if the news came to you, that will not invalidate your itikaf. That's all I'm saying. And if something, if someone engages in, in in a transaction, even nikah, going ahead and consummating their marriage is not permissible. This is mentioned in Surah Al-Baqarah. This is a limit given by Allah. If you're in this condition of itikaf. then the consummation of the marriage or any physical relationship with the spouse is not permitted. However, nikah, may Allah forbid talaq itaq, freeing a slave, such transactions would be valid if done in the state of Etakaf. The most virtuous place to make Etakaf is Masjid al Haram in Makkah al-Mukarrama. May Allah accept all those who are there, and include us in their prayers. But then by His most noble house. Number two is Masjid al Nabi naturally. Number three is Masjid al Aqsa. Number four is the Jamir Masjid in your community, the greater Masjid of your area. Any place where five times daily salat are performed, it is permissible. And most important thing is, to it is not permissible to leave the hudud, leave the boundaries. So to identify the boundaries, what does the boundaries mean? Sometimes we might think uh, we might think it's very simple that whatever uh, structure we see, this is a structure is the masjid, or this whole property somebody might be so generous and his assumption that whatever's inside the fence is all the masjid. No, far from it. The masjid is actually. This whole area, there's two things, let us make the distinction. One is the Waqf, Lillah, and one is the Shari'i Masjid. The entire property, the whole parking lot, anything inside the fence and outside this side, inshaAllah, is Waqf. Meaning it is an endowment for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they are ahkam of the Waqf. There are particular rulings and injunctions pertaining to Waqf. It is an endowment for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But within this entire Waqf, then there's a particular region which is known as the Shari'i Masjid. And the Sharia Masjid has its definite boundaries. And all the Fuqah mentioned that before the itikaf begins, it is a binding responsibility of the trustees of the masjid, the responsible imam, etc., that they must define for the people the boundaries. Because if those who are making the niyat of sunnah itikaf, if you cross the boundaries, intentionally it will break your itikaf. Unintentionally it will break your itikaf. The only difference is intentionally you'll be incurring sin unintentionally you will not be incurring sin but you will break your hithaqaf regardless if you shoot somebody intentionally it's homicide and unintentionally manslaughter unintended right but still the person will die one you will be a sin one you will not be a sinful you thought it was a duck or something but it was a human being right? like dick cheney or what happened some time ago so if you are hunting and you thought it was someone else, this is called Qatlul amad and قَتْلُ Shiva so amad That's the difference is only in the sin. But the effect of the bullet, because I didn't have the intention, will the bullet not hit the target? It will still hurt. It may still kill. So that is why it is important for us to know the boundaries. Why are these boundaries not the entire building? Because it is not only for اتكاف, but besides اتكاف, There are many other uh, rulings uh, pertaining to the masjid. Buying and selling things in the masjid is haram. So that's why if you make the entire building masjid, you cannot buy or sell things. With bringing uh, the object of sale into the masjid. Yes, technically a transaction is permissible in a masjid if the object of the sale is not there. But if you're selling it with the object there, then it's not permissible in the masjid. Talking about dunya matter is not permissible in the masjid and women who are in a state of the ritual impurity or even men men and women is the same the only difference is that for men is uh, they can take it quickly and come out of it but women it might it is something that beyond their control five seven days of uh, of um, a month up to ten days in a month it is not permissible for them to come in the so if you are going to have classes these are practical, logistical issues. If he's declared this because you are an and you're going to be putting restrictions on your movement, so you're going to say, man, why Why are you limiting it? Why can't we roam everywhere, at least within the building? Come on. It is because we have classes here. I want you to understand and see the whole picture. We have classes for young boys and girls and older boys and girls and men and women and adults and all kinds of classes. And teachers. And women teachers and men, male teachers. So that is why uh, on my right, which is uh, your left, this is the Hayy al Falah side, as they say it. it so identifies it either way, the Hayy al Falah side is this This whole hall is the women's prayer hall, right? That is actually out of the Sharimaz. That whole hall is out of the Sharimaz, and beyond that, this lobby here, this whole lobby is outside of the Sharimaz, where the marble is on the floor. Why I'm identifying the marble is because on the, this side, on the Hayya ala Salah side, ala salah side the, my left, your right, the floor is granite. You can, if you don't know the difference between granite and marble, it's a good opportunity you can see it now. Yeah. Granite is more granular, it has smaller uh, specks and, and marble is more smooth. Right. So the granite on that side is, is Masjid. Why is that Masjid? Because we want you to be able to go down. So there's a narrow strip of Masjid there between the doors on both sides. On the left side, there's a vestibule, the entrance, the side entrance of the men, when you come in, where you put your shoes, and there was that one sink, and that, that area is outside of the masjid. And, but in the middle, there's this granite. On one side is a door, on this side is a door. The door that goes into the lobby and the door that goes out towards outside. That middle area is Shari Masjid. The stairs is continuing with the granite, that's all masjid. Stairs going down is masjid. And the, the, there are two classrooms for, on your right. That is Shari Masjid. And then going around up to a door, we're going to walk through it, but I'm just saying it verbally now. Then going into the hall, there's a small little little alley. That is Masjid. And then going in the big multi-purpose hall, we have extended, those who were here last year, we have made the to and have extended the Sharri Hudud of the Masjid. To almost the whole hall, but not the entire hall. I see some people from last year, so you can note that it'll be greater than last year. But we still have kept some portion on the other side, which is not the masjid So we're going to put the tape there up to the pillars. So you will have, we'll have the caution tape. Literally, caution. If you go outside of it, it's not only going to invalidate your uh, your itikaf, It becomes wajib to make qada. You have to make qada because. You will start sooner to begin with. How does it become qada wajib? Allah Taala says in the Quran: "Ya amanu, la a'malakum Or those who believe do not invalidate your actions. So once you start a nafal, even make the niyyah, then it becomes binding to complete it. Inshallah, you will not. It will be easy for you because we will have the demarcation, so you will not have make a mistake. Inshallah. So that is why. We have, for example, the whole Glenbard district. You know, Glen, Glen Ellen Lombard together is Glenbard. For those who aren't nearby, you know, don't live here, don't know. So all the high school teachers, they came. They wanted to have a tour. So who is in the state of purity? Who isn't? So that's why we sit with them in the you know do the presentation in the lobby. There are different purposes. That's why we have different areas which are not in the sharemah. So when is it permissible? When is it permissible to leave then? Is it permissible at all? These are the needs. And these are when it's permissible. Number one, the need to urinate, defecate. Of course, a person has to go to the bathroom. It's permissible to attend the call of nature. To add, number two, to take the ghusl of janaba. Ghusl of janaba. when a person is in a major state of impurity, if that ever happens. If it happens voluntarily, the itikaf is broken. If it happens involuntarily, through a nocturnal em- 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 emission or something, a wet dream, then it becomes permissible to, to leave the masjid to take the ghusl. The ghusl is downstairs. That's outside of the masjid as well. So you can take the ghusl when uh, you, you, a person is in a major state of impurity. When it comes to making ghusl for Juma, there are both fatwas on it. Some of the fuqaha have given the fatwa. It is not permissible, but I was, I was just reading through several fatwa as well before I mentioned this that many of our many of our ulama have also given the fatwa that for the sunnah of of Friday, it, they have made ruksa that it is permissible. Even Darul Um fatwa, Darul Um Haqqaniyah, Haqqaniya, Abdu Samiyyah others who ulama have given. Even Hanafi Deoghundi's ulama have given fatwa that it is permissible for Jum'ah. Anyone has questions or doubt about that? If someone is gladly accepting it, no problem, fine. If someone has a question about it because they heard otherwise, they want to see the fatwa, I can definitely show it to them. They can come meet me about Jum'ah. Even the ghusl of, Jama uh, So, and if a person needs to make wudu, he can leave the masjid to make wudu in the wudu area, because now you're leaving the masjid to go to the wudu area. The wudu area is outside. If there's no one able to bring food at all, then it's permissible to go and get one's food, because that is a means of sustaining your life. The purpose of itikaaf is not to die before the end of Ramadan. <laughs> Sorry. So, and, and uh, the place for calling the azan used to be outside in a high position. So if there's no one to call the azan, then you can go outside to call the azan. That is not an issue for us. If the Jummah is not performed in a masjid, you're making a taqaf, you can leave just to perform Jummah, but you cannot leave just to perform Taraweeh. This is a real issue. A lot of places. I mean, these are. You might think this is theoretical. It's not theoretical. Like in Bloomington Normal, they have two masjids, but together they're doing one Taraweeh. Bloomington Normal is a little bit south on 57 or 55 highway. It's a town in Illinois. <laughs> so uh, they, they asked the masalaam. The people are making ittikaf in the two masjids, but they're small masjids, so they're renting a hall and doing tarawih there. So the guy who was left in itikaf, can he leave his ittakaf to come to the big function hall to perform tarawih or not? No. Can he perform by Skype, they asked. I said, absolutely not. He can do his own tarawih, inshaAllah. Uh, So, and if may Allah protect, may Allah protect this masjid, all our masajid. May Allah protect. If the masjid is destroyed through, uh, is burned or uh, there's arson or any other calamity happens, there's an earthquake, then that person is permissible to leave. Literally, those are the only scenarios where it's permissible for a person to leave the masjid. There's so much detail that if a person leaves to go to the bathroom, the bathroom is occupied, it is permissible to wait there until the bathroom is available. And the reason I'm even mentioning this is so you understand that after a person finishes relieving himself, answering the call of nature as it's called, then it is not permissible to continue to stay outside. You must return back into the masjid. Um, So over here, uh, the food will be brought from the kitchen. The kitchen area is outside of the masjid. So it's easier for you. You don't have to go into the kitchen. The food will be brought to you. You can, inshallah, just pick it up from the table in the buffet. And we have, uh, may Allah reward those brothers who are doing khidmah. They are doing nafal ithikaf. Some of them aren't there the entire 10 days. uh, But they are going to be dedicated for your khidmah. And they are hoping that you will make dua for them. So what factors render the ithikaf void? Most important is uh, leaving the masjid has been covered. Beyond that, is um, if a person has uh, re- physical relations with his spouse, or if not complete relations, but anything that leads to in emission, that will also invalidate the fast, uh, invalidate the, the Um What are some situations where it is permissible? There's no sin in breaking the taqaf. if such a disease emerges that. It's not possible to cure except by leaving the Masjid. Then it's permissible. If someone is outside the Masjid, may Allah forbid, Allah Qaddar Allah, the drowning, burning, or to prevent a fire, it is permissible to break one's safe take off. This is a long time ago. I, I did not see this movie, but I remember uh, when I was in school, there was some movie about Robin Hood came out. And there was a big thing because of the Muslim groups were protesting against it. That's why it came to my attention. Uh, they, they, we have bigger issues in this post-9-11 world, this is pre-9-11. This was a big issue Muslims were protesting about. In the movie, apparently, that when this person, is uh, he, uh, he had a Muslim slave that he brought from the crusades with him. And he, he is, uh, his slave is performing salah. They show the Muslim, Allah Akbar, performing salah in the movie. And he's in his salah and his master is getting attacked by a whole bunch of different knights come and they attack him and he's trying to defend himself and he's surrounded by all of these attackers and they're showing the Muslim is has absolutely no concern for his master who is about to die and be killed because he's still performing his salah and by the time at the end when, he's, uh, when he uh, was so valiantly in the Christian he overcomes all his enemies then he says rahmatullah. then he says oh I was praying so they're depicting that the Muslim number one is a coward he, and, he's, he, and he's taking the excuse of prayer and then this is what Islam teaches in fact, the Fuqaha specifically mentioned you should break your itikaf to save the life of somebody. That is not the teaching of our deen. That's the absolute misrepresentation. And if there's Salatul Janazah, Fard Kifaya versus Sunnah Kifaya, no one is there to perform Salatul Janazah, then only it's permissible to leave one's itikaf. If the itikaf is broken, we have to make qada. When, how do we make qadha outside of the month of Ramadan? We have to come before. May Allah forbid if you end up breaking an itikaf. If you break, oh yeah, if you miss, if your itikaf is broken, you do not have to make qada for 10 days. That's the one good news. Just the one day that you missed. So we can continue the remaining days. We just have to make up the one day. We accidentally went outside of the masjid. We forgot. So, how do we make up that qala? We will have to come to the masjid before maghrib and make it up that night. And the next day, we will fast, even when you're making it up outside of Ramadan. The adab is that we should. He already mentioned the adab: zikr, tilawat, du'a, all of the above, all the good stuff. What is permissible in mabah and itikaf that might, you might uh, have doubts about? In itikaf, it's permissible to eat and drink, as I said, necessary transactions, sale, without uh, regarding necessities of life, without bringing the produce and product here. Um, sleeping, uh, cutting one's hair, uh, talking is permissible, uh, of course, with avoiding unnecessary talk. In fact, uh, regarding silence to be mandatory as a part of Etakaf is a wrong concept. What he was talking about, Sheikh Zakaria, that, that has to be clarified that that was as an intention of uh, self-imposed discipline. But the I mentioned that regarding silence to be part of itikaf, and that if I speak my itikaf will be broken, then that is actually a bidah; It's a wrong understanding. So talking is permissible. Self-imposing silence is as a self-discipline. Changing clothes is permissible. I'm just throwing it out there, changing clothes does not break one's wudu. Somebody asked me the question recently. Changing clothes does not break your wudu. It's permissible in itikaf as well. Applying a perfume itar is permissible. Um, assisting sick people, oh, we heard about not visiting sick people. No, if they're in the masjid, you can assist a sick person, you can give medicine, apply bandage. Learning, teaching, giving lessons of Quran is permissible. And what are what are certain things which are makruh? Indulging in unnecessary talk, it will in- take away the thawab of one's i'tikaf. It's specifically mentioned under what is makruh during fasting. And, uh, and to include such an area for i'tikaf that other people who are coming to make ibadah, it will lead to their hardship, cause them difficulty. This is makruh. So, inshallah, these are some basic rules pertaining to kaf. If you have any further questions, we can continue to ask when we come. I just wanted to go over briefly. Uh, I'll ask the brothers to pass out the rules. Inshallah, if Brother Iqbal or Umar Badla, anyone can hear me, if they can pass out the rules, Inshallah. So what is the schedule going to be? How will a day look like? Inshallah, starting from the morning, uh, we're going to go through these rules together until the rules and then this is the end of the program. I just want to go over the schedule until everyone gets the rules. He's not passing out the schedule. He's only passing out the rules. So this is not on there, what I'm saying. So that's why you can try to pay attention, inshallah. Fajr salah, in the morning, of course, 4.15 to 4.30. And after Fajr, we will have a dars from 4.30 to 5 o'clock, Fadail of Ramadan. Then we will recite Yasin and make dua. You'll have rest-free time. Then we have a Quran khatam. Then sunnah of Dhuhar. Zuhur, Salah, So the t- main time for sleeping is before Dhuhr. From Ishraq till Dhuhr. And after Zhuhr, we'll be having Tafsir and Tajweed workshop. So we have, ten, inshallah, 10 days. We might have to do two surahs together, to, if we have nine days. So we want to do one surah a day. We go over the Tajweed of it to ensure we can correct our pronunciation. And also the tarjumat meaning and explanation and brief commentary. Then we'll have different fiqhi workshops, the fiqh of zakat, the fiqh of fasting, the fiqh of salat, how to perform the Salah in the correct manner, etc. Then we have some another second bracket of rest before asr. After asr, we will have uh, dhikr and Masnoon Athkar, the virtues of dhikr and dua. Then dinner after maghrib. Please note, after maghrib, we have to eat our dinner as quick as possible. One thing different from last year is that we will be moving our bedding. We have to move our bedding because the entire downstairs hall will be used by the sisters for their isha, uh, isha and tarawih. So we do not have much time after Maghrib. We have to really quickly eat. Last year we used to emphasize that have, perform the entire awabin and then go downstairs. This year we want you to eat quickly and then come early back and you can continue to perform your awabin here before the Isha Salah. Because the Ishaan prayer begins right when the Isha time starts. Right when the Isha time starts on the timetable, that's exactly when we are starting the Isha prayer, more or less, few minutes, at max. Actually, not even a few minutes, because the few minutes used to happen because the Tafsir was before Isha. But even the Tafsir will be after Isha now. So, if everything goes according to plan, we're supposed to be starting the Isha right at the time enters. So we have less time before between Maghrib and Isha. So we need to eat quickly. Then we can come back. Uh, you know, use the restroom, not standing in the restroom. Just using, coming back out, and then come up. Inshallah, perform nafil awabin, before Isha Salah. After Isha, Inshallah, we will have the we'll have the the, um, the tafsir after Isha in the last ten days. So let us look at these. Uh, look at. The, I think everyone got the rules now. If there's any questions about it, it should be very self-explanatory. The main object is to foster an environment maximally conducive to spiritual growth. Um, these are several guidelines in, in this regard. We should, uh, inshallah, hope everyone abides by them. Number one, the programs are open to everyone, meaning brothers and sisters. However, the sister section is, will close 30 minutes after tarawih and will open before Fajr. So that means that we do not have any overnight accommodation for sisters. There's there's a lot of hadith about this, it's a whole chapter on its own. The itikaf of the al Mutaharat. First, Rasulullah gave permission to Aisha Siddiqah. Right? So, the, we're not denying that. And then the other wives came and they put their tents too. Then, Rasulullah cancelled it all, cancelled the whole program. What was the difference? The difference was Aisha Siddiqah was attached to the masjid. So, how did she make itikaf? That's where we go and say salam upon Rasulullah's grave. Same place, right? So the way she did it was that from, from there was a door into the masjid and she just made a partition, just like the partitions we have She put a partition around it, In that section was physically attached to her own home So that is how she was making ithikaf But then the otherwise when they came, they didn't have the luxury of that their houses weren't necessarily all attached to the masjid Even Safiya Ardana who came to visit Rasulullah Her house was in the backside because houses are on both sides So they, when they had to come They had to be walking in and out through the masjid This was disliked by Rasulullah And this is not someone Thinking this up This is what the Prophet actions speak For themselves That he cancelled the whole itikaf For all of his al-mutahharat. So if someone has a house Where it is attached to the masjid And then the woman can be making itikaf In a part which is considered part of the masjid but, And it's a um, but she will not be going through, passing through the men, then that could be permissible. That would be permissible. It still is permissible. Otherwise, the itikaf for women is what that they can dedicate a particular area of their home and uh, and make near that they will make itikaf there. And uh, some other women, daughters and other daughter-in-laws, whoever else is available, sister, anyone, mother, can make the other arrangements of food and household duties. That is how the women make itikaf. Number two, Children we, uh, we love. We have a lot of programs for children. We have maktab from four to six, five to seven, boys and girls, little kids, they learn Qaida and Qur'an. So those are programs for kids. The ithikaf necessarily is not for kids. Um, overnight stay at the masjid is open to men age 16 or older. Younger children can attend the programs, but we cannot do babysitting. This is not daycare or night care. Right? Yeah. Um, so please keep that in mind. Number three, basically pro- point of number three is the programs are for you, so attend them. Very simple. Please do attend all of the programs. Number four, you're, you are not only permissible for you, but it's rather recommended. You bring all of your personal items and whatever Qurans and books you want to read. So we need to, um, our human nature is we like things to change. So if you are reciting Qur'an for a period of time, but then do not Rasulullah has given us instructions that uh, do not read the Quran in such a manner that you are tired, exhausted. For a change, you can do a thikr. After that, you can read some book and learn some ayn. So we need all of the. We need to diversify ourselves in all of these beautiful acts. So don't just bring the Quran and say this is, you know, uh, that's enough for me. That's all I'm going to read. That's great. It's a great concept. The Quran is a sufficient source of guidance. But as a human nature, we we need to do other types of askar too. Other types of ilm. So bring other books with yourselves if you have. Inshallah. Number five is that please make special, have special concern for the cleanliness of the masjid. Um, If you're cutting your nails, yes, it's permissible because you're in itikaf. Please pick up your nails, pick up any hair, and go above and beyond. You know, Sometimes we have this attitude that some people are in itikaf also. They are doing a khidmah. And uh, we are telling them, oh, you know, pick that up, pick this up. This is some of the feedback we got from the volunteers. So we have to encourage our volunteers. Tell them that, you know, we have to continue to honor them. They are here for the sake of Allah. They are, well, we are here for the sake of Allah too. They would say, right? So let us not have such type of attitude that we are telling someone hey, pick this one up and it's right next to us. If we are physically handicapped, of course, then everyone should understand that. But Allah has given us strength. Let us, inshallah, use that to clean, keep his house clean. Um. Let us abstain from personal items. Number six: per- digital uh, uh, um, laptops and etc. Um, number seven is all about the cell phone usage. It's highly discouraged, except in case of emergencies. Number eight:
0: uh, please ensure your
1: dress pro- appropriately, meaning what is something that happens, including when you're sleeping. So. Because we are not in your, in your private master suite bedroom anymore. We are in a public place. So we have to remember that if you are sleeping and we end up moving around in our sleep, we do not want to, may Allah forgive, expose ourselves in the masjid. So in, be careful about how we cover ourselves. In the summer, this becomes an issue even in salah, much less in sleeping. When our youth are going into ruku in Sazda. It becomes. They told us the people come and tell us all these things. Mostly, speak about this, speak about this. I saw a very bad thing. <laughs> I didn't want to see that when I came for Juma. The guy in front of me when he went to Ruku, I, I didn't want. I saw something I didn't want to see. So this is how we are dressing. Allah Taala says in the Quran, Ya Bani Adamah, Kulli Masjid. When you come to the Masjid Surah Al-Araf, come in a complete dress. If you are invited to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, right? You have a private audience in the Oval Office. Obama invited you, Barack Hussein. Obama invited you. Right. Amurtad invited you. You got excited. So then you will go there. You would how you go in a proper dress. But if you are coming to the Malikul Muluk, the King of All Kings Court, you're presenting yourself in front of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Should we not come in the complete dress? We recently had this. But we have to advise with softness. One brother, he, he uh, recently, he, was, uh, he came, he was wearing shorts which were below his knee. But uh, his heart was broken. That is wrong too on the other side, the flip side. He said, I was here for Aisha. And one uh, person told me that loudly in front of everyone, he disgraced me. And he said that, uh, you're not allowed to come with such clothes here. Go, change. He didn't even give me an option. I came for, I prayed to I was about to start Tarabi. He said, Get, go out from here. I told him it's below my knees. He said, leave from here. This is the wrong clothes. And then he left. And then he, But uh, thankfully, he came talk to us. So we consoled him. I said, it's okay. It's fine. People say things like that. We have to be patient. That's wrong for him to do that. And, uh, and after consoling him quite a bit, then at the end, I did add. I'm not saying what he said is wrong. Uh, his style of approach was absolutely wrong. But what he said, think about it. We are coming to the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We should try to come in a complete dress And he, alhamdulillah, took it positively So if we are advising people Then we have to adopt hikmah and wisdom and softness in our approach Number 9 Is about the the food is provided for everyone And there is recommended donation for that Which you have already given most of you Alhamdulillah, may Allah accept that Number 10 You have to remain in the masjid We already talked about that conversations uh, should not be done there. Number 11, my your time, that has been covered a lot. Any other questions, inshallah, myself or Mufti Azimuddin would be here, inshallah, you can uh, refer to us. Lastly, we are going to do the walkthrough now. So, we can make a group, those brothers first, can please stand up who did not make Etakaf last year. Here, Uh, Hafiz Umar, brother Iqbal, can, Mufti Azimuddin are here. They will, you want to take, inshallah, um, all the brothers on on, on, uh, my right side. Please, this one group will go on my right. You can please proceed towards uh, Mufti Azimuddin. This will be one group. And inshallah, the brothers on my left, you can go with the brother uh, Umar Badla and Iqbal Hussain. Those are the brothers next to Azimuddin. I'll come as well with you on my left.